Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so grateful that you're joining us today. If you're new here, don't let the name fool you. We are very religious. This show is very religious, very Christian, in fact. But it's more the world, and especially this nation that we live in, that is becoming increasingly secular, increasingly religionless, you could say. Um, And that is at least in part where the name comes from. So, you know, how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in a religionless world? That's what we're going to hopefully help you with as we've tried to help ourselves with that same thought process this week by looking at stories in the news from around the world and, um, you know, faith-based topics specifically. Um, So before we dive into the podcast, get to the news stories and our main topic, is there anything um, that you'd like to say, prayer requests, praise reports, anything of that sort? Yeah, I just found out um, about a CV-22 uh, crash in, uh, it was attached to Yokota Air Force Base, Japan. And we have friends there um, that fly in that plane and part of that squadron out there. And we praise God that our friends were not on that plane, but pray for all those who lost loved ones and there was one person um, they say they found the remains of, and the other seven they're still searching for. This happened November 29th. Um, so just pray for everybody who's affected by that. So, Yeah, definitely please, please pray for them. Uh, it's one thing to, you know, go and die in combat somewhere. You know, you're not, never really expecting it, but you're, you know, at least prepared in some respects. It's a god awful situation to die at home in a training mission. Um, that's terrible. So please pray for them. Uh, I'm sure their squadron and their, you know, friends and coworkers are grieving over that. Um, so please pray for them. Uh, praise report just for our family. Um, our son's First half of his basketball season, the whirlwind that was his basketball season is over, Uh, although he's starting his second half of the season with a new team now, so we'll see how that goes. But he remained healthy. He had a good time. He's actually turning out to be a pretty good basketball player, so that's a blessing. But just pray that his you know health would continue um, and that he would have a good time. And I was very close to becoming the caricature sports dad, losing my mind on the bench. But I restrained myself. The Holy Spirit restrained me. Yeah, I wasn't there to restrain him. But uh, (laughs) yeah, praise God for that. It's been a good time. So before we dive into our new stories of the week, one story that um, grabbed some of the headlines this week that we haven't had the time to get into uh, I tried to do some uh, looking around to find clips of the Ron DeSantis-Gavin Newsom debate, but I couldn't find full-length clips of it out just yet, and uh, therefore I didn't want to try to squeeze it into this episode. So if we get a chance to find it and we can stomach the putrid vile <laughs> that is that debate, uh, we will try to maybe give you our best and worst next week. If you want us to discuss that, at the end of the day... It's a debate between probably the best governor of my lifetime as far as somebody who, you know, is actually going to war with the satanic culture in this Mm -hmm. country, debating a man who took Jesus's words from scripture and used them to support murdering babies. 
So I don't know how much of a, a yeah. just time loss it is to sit and dissect that debate, but uh, we may do it um, if we have the time. We'll see. Maybe come back with our best and worst next week. Um, but anyways, what did we see in the news this week, honey? Well, the first story is an oldie, but a goodie. Natural immunity works. <laughs> Who would have thought? All right. Natural immunity provides better uh, protection against COVID than vaccines, even against hospitalization, new study finds. The analysis was based on data from 246,113 individuals who qualified as one of four categories. The scientists categorized the individuals as those with no immunity against COVID, those with natural immunity from previously being infected, those who had vaccine-induced immunity, and those who had both natural immunity and who were uh, vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2. Natural immunity conferred substantial protection against COVID-19 hospitalization, the authors of the study wrote. Our study showed that natural immunity offers stronger and longer-lasting protection against infection, symptoms, and hospitalization compared to vaccine-induced immunity. Ah, (laughs) the old, uh, remember those trust the science days, you know, before any of the science had actually been done, but we were supposed to trust the science. Those were the days, weren't they? Those were the days of uh, everybody was just a a guinea pig and they didn't, they didn't know it. That's what we would call blind faith Mm -hmm. uh, out there. And I'm sure, you know, now that these reports are coming out, the apologies are going to come flooding in um, any day now from our political leaders and, uh, you know, national leaders, religious leaders who told us to trust the science before any of the science had ever been done. Uh, Any day now, I imagine those apologies will be coming. But uh, the U.S. Army did try to apologize, in a sense, without actually apologizing. So this story I heard this week. It says U.S. Army wants relieved anti-vaccine soldiers back as recruitment loom or recruitment woes loom. It says the U.S. Army wants to re-enlist soldiers who were discharged for refusing COVID-19 vaccines as the service grapples with increasing recruitment challenges. According to a report by Task, uh, Task and Purpose, around 1,900 anti-vaccine soldiers were sent letters with instructions on how to rejoin the force. Um, and then it says, uh, according... Oh, uh, then it says, where am I at? Uh, Since the vaccine mandate was lifted in January 2023, only 43 out of 8,000 discharged soldiers have returned to service. In the Army, only 19 soldiers have rejoined. Man. Wow. Uh, recruiting must be real bad to have them come groveling back to these repugnant anti-vaccine soldiers. And, you know, just spitballing here, uh, maybe recruitment wouldn't be so bad if you didn't tell people that they have right to autonomy over their own body and their freedoms don't matter. Maybe if you didn't do that, uh, maybe they're, you know, if you tell them, hey, you're allowed to have religious convictions and not lose your job. Maybe if you did that, people might be inclined to join the service, but uh, yeah, yeah, that has got through some egos. Way more. 
even joining now. Like people just coming in, like that's the risk you run. My advice: stay gone, brothers. Stay <laughs> home and be free. Be happy. So, what else did we have in the news this week? All right, uh, staying in the defense department, top defense department school official arrested in human trafficking sting. Last week, Georgia law enforcement announced that 26 people had been arrested as part of a two-day undercover human trafficking sting conducted by the Coweta County Sheriff's Office. Among those arrested was 64-year-old Stephen Hovanek, Chief of Staff for Defense Department Schools in the Americas. The agency is the federal school system for the Defense Department Operating schools for military families and Pentagon families. Yikes. Uh, If you remember that story that we had uh, talked about or we mentioned a few weeks ago about the uh, Department of Justice arresting a bunch of people in a high-end brothel network, and these people were elected officials, military officers. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it sounds like the, you know... Good times keep on rolling with our godless national leadership here. And uh, I think what's important to note about this story, you know, we have so much like the libs of TikTok, you know, that was out there all summer long and stuff, putting out the, you know, the pink haired, you know, elementary school teacher with their pride stuff all over the place. Um, But it isn't just the far left gender confused that are the perverts that are putting Mm. your children at risk in public schools. Here we can see it's the highly educated, these refined and dignified leaders of ours, that they're perverts too. <laughs> and uh, I think this serves as a good reminder because we haven't reminded people of this in a while. Um, so here's a perfect opportunity. If you want to keep your kids safe, if you want to protect them from perverts and predators and give them the best education possible, homeschool your children. Um, you're more than capable of taking on that challenge. So uh, consider it. And if you're unsure of how to go about that, we are proud members of the Christian Podcast community. Another of our lovely members on there is the Schoolhouse Rocked Podcast, Mm -hmm. who can give you endless amounts of information on homeschooling and all of that sort of stuff to get you up and running and get your kids away from these godless perverts where they don't belong. Um, Anyways... What's next, honey? All right. Well, let's not just think that it's our nation only that is run by people who hate us. We are just one of many. So here's a leader, a senator in Ireland, in what could probably be a new segment for us on this show, the weekly dose of intolerance from the inclusivity crowd. Yeah, there's so many of these clips. All right, let's see what she has to say. When you think about it, all law. All legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our Constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. You know, (laughs) 
Don't you just appreciate when your leaders tell you that they're taking away your rights, but it's for your own good? They're just so benevolent, aren't they? How is it good for you, the one who's trying to help other people see their error? Well, you see, they're bigots, so they're not real people, and they don't have real views. Um, So they don't really matter. It's just the marginalized that matter. If you make the marginalized feel insecure, then your rights should be restricted. And again, it's for your own good. It's for your own best interest that they take your rights away and maybe lock you up just for your viewpoints. Um, And it's interesting, she says in there, if your views make others insecure... That's one of the standards. If your views make others insecure, you have to have your views restricted. So think how that might play out. If my view is, hey, being morbidly obese is unhealthy and you shouldn't live your life that way. So if I see you, you know, at lunch, maybe going to pound down a third quarter pounder and I go, hey, brother, um, you know, you told me earlier that you wanted to get in shape and lose some weight. I don't think that that food's best for you. Maybe, you know, well, I've just made you feel insecure. Here you are pounding down all these burgers and I pointed it out. So now I what? I get thrown in jail. I get fined by the Ireland government because I made you insecure when I was. That's not your problem that somebody feels a certain way when you intend it for good. Anybody can say they feel a certain way no matter what you say. That is so simple-minded. How dare you? That is so antiquated. Um, none of that matters at all. Everything you think should be, how do I make the marginalized well, feel? What about all give the, them little, everything they want. the little quotes that you see online, like, choose joy, just be happy, like, just whatever you focus on, you will be. They oh, can just do that. <laughs> they would, but your bigoted views, they just keep holding people back. Never mind that they're intolerant towards your views of, say, Christianity, who believes marriage is for a man and a woman. Never mind that they're intolerant of that, because if you say that, you've made them insecure and they lock you up. Um, you know, but if they tell you that you're a stupid uh, fool because you believe in a literal six-day creation in the world's 10,000 years old, well, that's just science, don't you understand? get with the times. Uh, It always seems to work that way. Um, But it is good to be reminded from little clips like this that um, these people are the same people that run our country. I know this Mm -hmm. is a senator from Ireland, but she's the same as the people in our own Senate here today, in our own Congress and as executive leadership, because progressives are progressives. That's what this lady is. That's what our leaders, by and large, a lot of them are. They're progressives, and they don't really stand behind a national flag. Like they're not right. America first kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. They hate America. They're just first, a culture, you know, movement, yeah. right? They're global citizens. Remember, Barack Obama told us we're citizens of the world. We're global citizens, and that's the way they see each other. They're they're well, one, right? We're all you know American and I- Irish folks. No, they're they're leaders. They're global progressive leaders, and that's kind of the way they well, see themselves. Satan is the the god of this world who has blinded people. So yeah. Yeah. So it's good to remind ourselves, you know, uh, we spend a lot of time focused on our leaders and, you know, how much they look to restrict our own rights. But it's good to remind yourself, everybody, everybody is suffering under these satanic leaders um, Mm -hmm. who seek to oppress and 
hold down uh, those of us who have contrarian views. So Hmm. just a good reminder, Um, but God is good. Don't (laughs) you worry. Anyways, moving along from our (laughs) senator from Ireland, what else did we have in the news? Yeah, the, the week wouldn't be noteworthy if we didn't have a story related to Donald Trump, though this story is less about him and more about our own faulty faith. Uh, says Trump era controversies had a measurable effect on church attendance. Uh, politically moderate and left-leaning evangelicals appear most impacted. A growing number seem to have felt estranged from their congregations in the Trump era. The rate of self-identified Democrats giving up on church in their 20s to 50s doubled from the end of Barack Obama's presidency to the end of Trump's, according to Berg. Um, And the dramatic change came in 2016. At the same time, more Republicans started identifying as evangelical, but not attending any worship services. Yeah, and... uh... I think this makes sense. Um, this idea that more Democrat, self-identified Democrats are moving away from church because we've said for a long time now on this show that um, Democrats, at least modern day uh, versions of them, they tend to be those who look at their uh, faith through the political lens mm-hmm. rather than the other way around, which I think is the proper way. We look at our politics through the lens of our faith, right? Because if you have a biblical worldview, you look at everything through the lens of your faith. Um, but I think a lot of modern Democrats, especially the far more progressive ones, they look at even their faith through a political lens. Now, mm. to be fair, uh, I would say most Republicans just lie about their actual faith in God. Again, 6% of this nation has a biblical worldview, which tells you 6% of this nation is Christian. So Republicans can tell you whatever they'd like about where they stand on all these different issues. Uh, most of them just lie. So I don't think it's necessarily better than the Democrats. Uh, just different, I suppose. Um, I don't know. I was thinking, well, maybe it's in part because of church being online, especially, I mean, during COVID. But, I mean, that was It could later. be. Um, I would I mean, say that's more of just a... A surveyism like that may like I don't think it's I think it's the same thing, right? I think if you're moving away from church to attend church solely online, I don't think your faith is overly rock solid or real, right? Because it's a well-established Christian doctrine fellowship of the brethren, like that is taught in Scripture. That is what we are mm-hmm. told to do: is to gather together to worship together. Uh, So this idea that you're like, I'm just a Christian and I just like to watch my T.D. Jake sermons on a Thursday afternoon all by myself. I don't know how much credence I would give to your actual faith at that point. So I don't know that it's different. Again, just because, you know, and that's part of what we do, right? Because people get mad at us sometimes like, oh, well, who are you to say? And well, this is kind of an opinion show, right? That's kind of the idea is we're looking at things through what we consider a biblical worldview and going, that doesn't look right. And the same thing here, right? If you walk away from church and you're like, well, I just watch on YouTube. 
I would look at that and go, eh, I don't know how deep your faith is then, um, because that's not the way Christians are to behave themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. makes sense to me that Democrats would move away because, again, like we said, they look at faith through a political lens. And just to be fair, most Republicans just lie about their faith. <laughs> so not better, just different. Um, but I think we have one more story here. All right. Our final news story of the week We saw an attempt to rewrite history based on modern cultural sensibilities. Uh, It says, early women were hunters, not just gatherers, a study suggests. says, people have long said that in prehistoric foraging societies, labor was divided by gender. Women gathered and men hunted. But now a new study adds to the growing body of work challenging this idea suggesting that prehistoric women were just as skilled at killing game as men were. The researchers researchers also found that women played an active role in teaching hunting, and they used a wider variety of weapons and hunting strategies than men did. (laughs) This is my favorite story of the week. (laughs) You see, women were always men's equal, is what we're told. And maybe they left this part out, but we can just assume it was probably just those oppressive Christians, maybe those Puritans (laughs) that got, you know, they've been holding women back ever since because they used to be um, the greatest hunters. I like that they point out that, you know, women were used in teaching hunting and they also used a wider variety. They were far more skilled in weapons than men. Men just had their stupid club, but women had a wide array of weapons like... Okay, but this is most certainly not true, (laughs) um, but it's just like so much of modern, you know, reporting that we talk about, modern research, um, it has to fit a narrative, you know, so Mm -hmm. here, right, it seems like feminism is kind of driving this narrative. Mm -hmm. It's so obvious, yeah. Yeah, like this story gets put out here, hey, women were, yeah, men hunted, but women were so much superior, like, okay, so... Feminism drives the narrative, puts the research out. And then obviously, you know, when this stuff gets fact-checked or correct later on, no one's going to pay attention. That won't be reported. And I thought one of the funny things in here, uh, it actually made me chuckle when I read it. Uh, It says, oh, yeah, right here. The article, it goes on to say, for women, the hunting was purposeful. Wall Scheffler tells NPR, women had their own toolkit. They had favorite weapons. Grandmas were the best hunters of the village. What is this? The crudes? Is there... <laughs> yeah, like grandmas were the best hunt. Like, yes. Old women what in the world were the greatest hunters in their tribes in these ancient tribal societies. Like, you know, old women uh, who today, even with all of modern medicine, right? All of health and fitness science out there, they still need help raking their lawns. They still need you to help them bring their groceries in from the car. But 2,000 years ago, 2,000 BC, 4,000 years ago, right? They were wrestling saber-toothed tigers with their bare hands. I mean, maybe it's because they had a wider variety of weapons. What were these weapons? Do they get into it? Was it a weapon just for the grandmas? Maybe the weapon was... The same weapon they use today, their, um, their beauty to entice and allure men to go and 
run to their own death and peril to bring down these beasts. And then the women just came behind them and cleaned it up it all over all the uh, men's dead carcasses. I don't know. But just think about that. We're supposed to believe from the Smithsonian that they researched that grandmas, the same ones who today need help raking their lawn, were just knifing woolly mammoths well, how, out in the wild. How old did they live? Which did they get to, though? A grandma could have been, like, 45. I don't know. It wouldn't matter if she was 35. It doesn't really matter. She's Grandma's not a, a grandma. <laughs> so this is obviously, this article is nonsense, of course. Uh, but the reason I think it, you know, at least one of the things outside of me laughing about it was it just lends to sort of the further distrust of what, you know, we call modern science today, you know, Obviously, you got like the medical science and all that happened during COVID that -hmm. you're like, yeah, I don't really believe a whole lot of it anymore. And now here you're like, you know, these historical researchers like, hey, did you know back when Abraham was walking the earth, women were the greatest hunters in the tribe. You're like, I don't believe that either. (laughs) You know what? I don't believe much of what you say. The ones who went to war were probably the best fighters. I don't have no doubt that there were probably women in tribes who were good hunters or helped hunt. Right. But the idea that they were like somehow the majority and we've just gotten it all wrong and that like human physiology somehow never played a factor. uh, No, give me a break. So don't believe it. Um, But if you want a good chuckle, go give this story a read. All of our articles, of course, will be linked in the show notes. You can go read them for yourselves. Share them with a grandma and make her day. That if she had lived 4,000 years ago, she would have been, you know, it would have been Wakanda, just led by all those women soldiers mm. um, fighting Thor and whatnot. But I don't really feel like elaborating on any of these stories. Um, what we kind of talked about last week is what we want to get into this week. Uh, we want to talk about a story that we sort of briefly touched on a few weeks ago when Sarah Young had died. She passed away and we talked about her just briefly. And because of that that story that we mentioned on a podcast, a lady reached out to us in the email, um, which thank you. If you have something for us, please email us and maybe we'll discuss it on the show. But she emailed me last week uh, telling me that she wrote this book about Sarah Young and she just thought maybe we would find it interesting or compelling Um, I asked her if she wanted to come on an interview and she said, no, thank you. At the time, she's not doing interviews. So um, we did ask her if we could ask some questions. She agreed to that. So uh, hopefully next week, because we're going to do this topic on Sarah Young this week and next week. Um, This week is going to kind of just be a broad overview of her book. And then uh, next week is going to be kind of looking at more of the specifics of what she writes. So mm-hmm. we'll try to bring you, uh, if she gets back to us on the questions we have for her next week. But uh, this book is, it's meaty. Uh, it's a carnivore diet of looking <laughs> at Sarah Young's writings and teachings. Um, so like I said, this week is going to kind of just be a broad overview of this book. Mm-hmm. And um, the book is titled Christian Journaling or Psychic Channeling. So this book focuses on Sarah Young and her Jesus Calling series of books. So basically all of them, which Sarah Young has written a lot of them for adults, for kids, 
all different. I was sorts unaware of that she had written so many, just for different. Yeah, I think she for mentions in too. here there's like eleven total books in the Jesus sort of calling series, if you will. Mm-hmm. But the subtitle for this book sums it up very nicely. And I don't know if you're watching on YouTube, if you can see it. Again, this will be linked down in the show notes. And this book is free to read on her website. If you want to go and read the online PDF version, you can also purchase the book through her website. I think it's only 10 bucks for a hard copy. Uh, we don't get any commission or anything of that sort from it. Just it's there if you want to get it, which I so highly recommend. And we'll talk about that later. But um, the subtitle of this book It says, a critical comparison of the Jesus Calling series with occult training literature. Mm -hmm. So the premise, and I think that it gets substantiated pretty well in this book, is that uh, Sarah Young, you know, far more than leading Christians to a deeper understanding of God, was in fact leading them further away from God and into the arms of the occult. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... I think she makes a pretty substantial case on that. So I think the bigger argument, which I don't know that we'll maybe solve next week, is was Sarah Young doing this intentionally? So uh, as we go through this, you know, we may give you our thoughts. We'd love to know what your thoughts are on this. I know Sarah Young is a divisive topic in the Christian world, Mm -hmm. but um, this book here, it opens. In her prologue, um, let me see if I can get to it. And in her prologue, oh, there it is. Um, she explains what really set her off on the course of writing this book. And I think it's what happened to a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians that we've talked to, um, friends of ours and stuff who... Uh, had Sarah Young's book or just saw it somewhere, read it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it happened to a lot of Christians. Unfortunately, I don't think it happened to enough Christians. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, they were given the book, they bought it, they read some of it, and they were sort of like immediately kind of creeped out by it. And they kind of immediately recognized yeah. that though it might sound Christian, that it might use Christian lingo, it was not Christian. And that's some of the People yeah. that have told us that have read this book, they're like, I, no, I read it right away and was like, Ugh, I didn't have that. I, I think I was just so used to that kind of lingo. It was normal for me. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. I mean, you know, if I started reading it today, it would definitely, yeah, stand out to me as off. Yeah. 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 And, you know, <laughs> she even mentions that in her prologue here that that's kind of where she got off on writing this book is because even in her own family, like she read the book and was creeped out by it, but her mom loved the book and even defended it against her when she brought mm-hmm. up some of these accusations. Um, yeah. So then she thought, you know what, I really need to figure this thing out. And she kind of went into this uh, multi-year deep dive into Sarah Young. But she says mm-hmm. here on page five of this book, she says, still, I stuck with the book for a while, suppressing my discomfort and taking it as valid expressions of Christianity that was just not to my taste. What else could it be when such strong Christians uh, I knew were reading it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, that point right there, I thought, like, this is kind of what this show exists for, Mm -hmm. at least in my mind. I don't know how well I convey it all the time. Yeah, you can be a strong Christian, 
but you can be deceived just because of the way you're brought up, the kind of people, you know, in your life or the church you go to. It doesn't mean you're not strong in the faith just because you're deceived in this area, because I was. Right, but, I mean, you know, and again, that's, again, what I kind of want to do on this show and what I've tried to do at different times is being able to discern that and not just go, well, but they say they're Christian, right? So it's got to be good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, especially in light of modern Christianity, and again, we're talking about this because we see this idea that Sarah Young perpetuates in some form or fashion really infecting the church in a mm-hmm. large way in many different facets. And we can't just keep walking into it and going, yeah, but they say they're Christian, so it's probably all right. Or like, well, you know, people I know that mm-hmm. I love agree with that, so it's probably good. No, we need to have a much better uh, eye and mind towards discernment to go, nope, that's not true. Uh, and I'm just going to have the courage to tell you that it's not true mm-hmm. or that it's wrong, uh, even if they're, they mean in the best way, whatever it happens to be, it's just not correct. Um, so that's what, you know, we try to do here, right? When we talk about how to live a life that's pleasing to God in a religionless world is to kind of look at this sort of stuff and go, that's wrong. This is right. Now, mm-hmm. again, you're talking about Christianity, so no one's going to agree on it, but we're giving you our best understanding of it. Um, and I think this is what all of Christianity needs to be doing. You know, I think we've got to get past this idea. We can't just be letting, you know, false Christians or whatever it is, these false teachings, um, take the lead on what Christianity is today in America. Um, I think people are afraid to speak against someone who says they're speaking on behalf of God. Like, that is a fearful thing. If somebody was speaking on behalf of God, you'd be afraid to speak against them at all. But you're speaking against it, not with your opinion, but with the Word of God. So it's not even you coming against the person. It's the Word of God, you know, being held up to that person who's claiming to speak on behalf of God. And that's what we need to have our confidence in, is in God's Word. We need to know God's Word, one, to be able to do that. Like, that's the sword. That's how we discern. That's how we battle. Um, And we're not coming against people. We're coming against the teaching, and hopefully they will see the truth and correct their error and repent, because we don't want to just right off the bat say that they're an enemy, because they could be deceived. You know, many people are. And when you dislike the girl who wrote this book, um, you know, she showed it to her mom and her sister, and they repented and got rid of the book. So doesn't mean they were evil for being deceived. No, I'm not necessarily saying they're evil. I mean, they're not. They're being deceived. Uh, and it's not, you know, this statement about her just saying, you know, um, what else could I do, right? There's so many Christians who are reading it. This isn't an indictment of Brianna Scott either. Mm. Uh, I think this is a common trait among Christians, you know, because we're generally nice people, loving people, we give the benefit of the doubt even to false teachers. Um, you know, we're like, ah, well, they mean well, they're doing their best, all these sorts of things. But I think at the end of the day, and what we need to come to, especially in light of today's country and world is who cares well, <laughs> if, if they're they, doing their best, like, right. But if they mean true, false is false. Yeah. But if they're, if they mean well, then 
they will um, be willing to be corrected. Absolutely. If they're being, um, you know, looking for the truth, searching for the truth, but they're just off base, then mm-hmm. yeah, they should be willing to. And, you know, she does mention here that her family did come to see uh, when she presented the evidence, which is what you hope. Um, but just this idea that, well, they're trying their best, so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We can't, I, we don't see that in scripture. You know, it made me think of the story of Saul. You know, Saul, when, you know, he's God chosen to be king, but, you know, he goes and before the battle, he's waiting for Samuel to give a sacrifice and he gets impatient and he offers to sacrifice to God. And because of that, even though probably done with the best of intention, I'm sacrificing to God. What can be wrong with that? Yeah, well, God removed the mantle from him. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what you were supposed to do, Saul. Sorry, like, right is right, wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter what your best intention is. Right, so uh, I think we have to have that mindset. And I think you only get that mindset when you place God on the pedestal and mm-hmm. not men or people or relationships. Why are we so afraid to offend men instead of God? Why is that? I don't know. Like I um, still I mean, we all do, right? I mean, our faith is probably weak in those areas because we don't have, you know, eyes to see eternity and we don't, you know, see God on his throne the way that we should. So I think, you know, it's just human nature. We see the relationship in front of us. You know, it's hard to ruin that. But um, yeah, I think this is something we all need to get past and we all need to start having the courage to just, and again, we don't have to be ugly about it or mean. We should be loving. We should be patient about it. We should be um, caring, you know, because most Christians, probably very few Christians who are taught, you know, true orthodox biblical doctrine, and they believed it from the day they were born until the day they died. Most of us have waded our our way mm-hmm. through some false teaching, oh, uh, gosh, misunderstanding. Yeah. So we should have compassion yeah. for those who were trying to help um, along the way. So um, I wanted to pull up one of these pages, page seven. Um, it's a, it's a picture. Um, Oh, you took the pages down the wrong order. Did I? Or you took the wrong page number. Oh. Anyways. Okay, well, anyway. It's a um, one of Sarah Young's instructions in her the devotional to the kids. It says to record any of your thoughts or any whispers that Jesus speaks to your heart. And I was thinking, how do people or kids especially discern between their own thoughts and Jesus whispering to their heart what's the difference um yeah there's there's nothing in scripture that talks about Jesus whispering to your heart or God whispering to your heart um we are told the heart is deceitful to not listen to it. We're supposed to follow the word of God. Right. I mean, I think it was what? It was Elijah who the Lord spoke to him in a still small voice. But Elijah was a grown man. Um, and when I, you know, read this, I thought of um, Samuel again, right? In first Samuel chapter three, you know, we read there of, you know, God called to Samuel three times in the middle of the night, but it took Eli, the older, the wiser priest to actually tell Samuel that it was God calling him. 
Samuel heard God's voice and he had no idea what it was. He thought it was Eli calling to him. And yet we're supposed to believe like this is Samuel, right? He was given to the priest as a baby. He lived in the temple. He was raised in, you know, a godly environment from the moment he was born. And he still didn't discern God's voice. Yet we're supposed to believe that kids nowadays in between playing Fortnite and watching Dude Perfect on YouTube, they're supposed to just go close their eyes for a moment and discern God's voice out of that madness. I would tell you that is unlikely. Um, Who knows what's coming in their mind, but if Samuel had a hard time understanding it, probably a solid bet your kid's going to struggle with it also. Yeah. Um, That's kind of weird that it's to the the kids. Yeah, very weird. I didn't realize that. Because I don't, I never read Sarah Young. So the idea that she was writing this stuff to children, I probably knew it in the back of my mind, but I didn't realize it. But that makes it even creepier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get them while they're young, I suppose. But what the author does, um, Brianna Scott, and forgive me if I get her name wrong as we're talking about it's this. B R E N N A, it might be Brenna. Brenna, Brianna, sorry for getting your name wrong. Um, we apologize, not intentional. Um, But what she does here is she traces back Sarah Young, uh, where Sarah Young got her ideas about spirit journaling. Mm -hmm. She traces that back. So you may have thought that this was kind of something that Sarah Young uh, was inspired to do all on her own, but it wasn't. Mm -mm. Um, And let me see if I can find it here. According to my corrected page numbering. um, (laughs) It says uh, she got her um, she got this writing from a book, or she was inspired by a book called "God Calling," which was written by two women like Sarah Young who were dissatisfied with Scripture alone. And let me read this. <clears throat> These two women that wrote "God Calling" said, "We felt all unworthy and overwhelmed by the wonder of it." and could hardly realize that we were being taught, trained, and encouraged day by day by him personally when millions of souls far worthier had to be content with guidance from the Bible. Don't you hate when you have to be content with just guidance from the Bible? I think I wrote that same one down I was going to bring up. I can see it in your notes. Yeah, you were shocked by that one too. Yeah, just uh, not content, but... This is the same thing Sarah Young mentioned when she wrote Jesus Calling. Do you want to read um, this little bit, if I can find it? Yeah, right right here. Um, She says, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Yeah, so Sarah Young, she was inspired by these two women who wrote God Calling, who were dissatisfied, in a sense, with the Bible alone. And lo and behold, Sarah Young became dissatisfied with the Bible alone. She yearned for more from God than what he gave to us. And... Well, yeah, we're always... I think that we yearn to be with God. um, And that's normal. And that's good. We do yearn for more than just having his word... But that doesn't mean going in the direction she went. Like, it's not wrong to want to just be with God, you know? So you could look at it yeah. that way, but she was looking at hearing from God 
like the Bible, like it was old to her. She's. I mean, I don't know if it's wrong it. to want more. I mean, I reminded the Martin Luther quote where he talks about, you know, I in my life I've sought nor neither angels nor miracles nor anything else, but just a right understanding of the scripture. Like that was all I yearned for was a prop because then I knew, you know, I can't remember what the quote is. If mm-hmm. I can find it, it'll be up on the screen. Yeah. But I know. you know, he kind of talked about I don't want the miracles or the angels. I just want to understand God's word mm-hmm. right. And so I think, yeah. you know, having the mindset that like, I ah, know the Bible is great and it's God's word, but like, doggone, I mean, there is the mindset that I do want to be with him in, you know, paradise. And, and but we like, will have perfect understanding when we're in heaven one day. I don't know. Not many people really understand the whole Bible completely. No, I don't Pretty think anybody's different view. Hundred percent accurate on it. I suppose yeah. maybe there are. Uh, maybe there that's, might. Be, yeah, there probably are. I hope that there are. <laughs> um, you know, point them out to us, please. But this, to me, this idea of you know, I yearned for more, and it, to me, and I don't know if laziness is the right word, but it struck me as kind of a sort of laziness because I think it's difficult to read the Bible. You know, it's difficult to study it day in and day out, um, and it's difficult to discern the truth in it, especially in a world of conflicting beliefs, and you have to sort of, you know, fight and battle against all of them to discern what you believe. That's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's even more difficult to get up and to go to church, you know, and be taught and instructed in the Word once a day, you know, once a week even, but even more difficult to go multiple times a week, you know. We've given stats on this show before about the decline in church attendance. Nikki just kind of talked about it. We talked about it with Donald Trump driving people out of the church. Um, We've talked about the decline in people actually reading the Bible on this show. And it's like, why go through all of that trouble and all that difficulty when you can just read a three-paragraph devotional from Sarah Young every day Mm -hmm. and go sit in a quiet room for a few minutes, and the Lord each morning will give you a direct, fresh revelation for your day. Isn't that way easier than all the other things you have to do um, that the Bible instructs you to do? And I also see it as a bit of pride. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. like that girl said, like, yeah, you know, the Bible's good enough for everyone else, but, man, I really need Jesus one-on-one. I need that VIP treatment Well, it makes her, her saying, like, she yearned for more is kind of implying that she completely understood all of God's word. So if she did, why didn't she write books ex- explaining, you know, parts of the Bible maybe that, that people disagree on or have different views on? Yeah, that is true. Like, <laughs> I read it all. I know everything about it. And this is almost like the atheist mindset. When you bring up Christianity, they're like, I read the Bible. And you're like, whoa, all right then. Argument settled. You read it once, which is probably a lie. Most of them haven't read it. And even if you did read it once, what does that matter? You know, people spend their entire life studying it and go, I never saw this. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever happens to be. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, it is a bit of, it strikes me as pride on that. Um, But... The author of this book, uh, Brianna Young or Brenna Young, she also mentions in here that this idea of spirit journaling didn't even originate with God calling. And the two women that wrote it, who they 
list in here is they call them the two listeners, uh, is who mm-hmm. the ladies who wrote God Calling. What it, year was this? It was in the 1930s? I think they wrote, yeah, it was like 1935 or something. With these two women. Two women. But okay. it didn't start with them. Um, oh. They learned this from a book called... Um, for Sinners. For Sinners, yeah. which is... Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, For Sinners Only is what the name of this book. And... Um, this book was kind of, um, it was written about a group. So for sinners only was a book put together about this group called the Oxford group, um, that existed in the 1920s. And she has a nice little sort of flow chart here. That's easy to follow. Um, but this group as the author labels them, she says that they were a pseudo Christian organization whose central theme was getting guidance through a time of meditation, a time they called quiet time. Mm. And it's worth noting that the Oxford group were recognized, at least by some, as even in their day in the 20s, as teaching mysticism rather than Christianity. And this quote Mm -hmm. down here, uh, if I can read it, it's by a fellow named J.C. Brown. He writes, he teaches his votaries to wait upon God with paper and pencil in hand each morning in this relaxed and inert condition and to write down whatever guidance they get. This, however, is just the very condition required by spiritist mediums to enable them to receive impressions from evil spirits. And it is a path which, by abandoning the scripture-instructed judgment, which God always demands, for the purely occult and the psychic, has again and again led over the precipice. The soul that reduces itself to automation may at any moment be set spinning by a demon. Yeah, this is why God said have nothing to do with all this type of stuff. It's, yeah, yeah. can't Christianize it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he even, you know, mentions in Deuteronomy 18, right, that he says even if these, you know, false prophets and whoever these people are come and they tell you something that proves true, but it goes against my word, he tells them, I sent them there to so like, as a test for you, don't believe them, stick to my word. So mm-hmm. um, again, Sarah Young learned this from the two listeners who wrote God Calling, who learned this mm-hmm. from this Oxford group, who even in their, their day were recognized as people teaching mysticism and spiritist medium practices. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I'm really thankful for the work that this author did. Yeah, she did a lot. Into all this. Um, but this whole idea, I just, it's unbiblical, you know, and not that the Bible doesn't teach us to meditate, uh, it does, but it teaches us really to meditate on the word, mm-hmm. right? But what Sarah Young and what these forerunners of her are teaching was essentially to shut your brain off and let it be filled. And that idea is not something Christians are instructed to do mm-hmm. as far as I know. Empty your mind and all that, yeah. Yeah, like we're taught that we're in fact given the mind of Christ. And you would assume we're given it for a reason so that we can use it. Um, and we're also told, right, to study to show ourselves approved in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. You know, we're told yeah. to meditate on the law day and night in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. So shutting your brain off to let it be filled by something, 
I would say is far more myst- uh, mystical or mysticism than Christianity. You're putting something else above the Word of God. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> you really got to look at it that way that you can move on to something better than God's Word in this life on this side of heaven. Yeah, you're like, Lord, how should I deal with my husband so that we can have a happy marriage? And you read the Bible and it says, submit to your husband. And you're like, let me sit, reign over my husband, (laughs) reign over my, oh, he gave you the complete opposite understanding of his word. We Uh, can't move on from God's word to something else because we are continuously supposed to be doers of God's word, not listening to another voice and being a doer of whatever that voice is telling you to do. It, I mean, yeah. it's not Jesus talking to you. So. No, we're not instructed to shut our brains off and let it be filled. And this is also, at least to me, it reminds me of what, you know, Bethel Church teaches. Right? Yeah, they do. You know, they close your eyes and let your mind wander. And whatever comes to your mind is from God and it's sanctified. Right. They say, pray for your imagination to be sanctified before they go into this trance, whatever this is, where they close their eyes. So they think, so it's their imagination, but... And why would we assume that's true? They think it's from God because they ask God to sanctify it. And it's super silly stuff. Like just because somebody says, this is sanctified, we go, oh, I guess it's sanctified. Again, this goes back to my original point of like, no, we need to go, no, it's not. That's untrue. And you're lying to me. Um, They can just apply that to anything. It's it's like eating a bunch of cake and saying... God, make this healthy for me. And if I just imagine it, it's healthy. In my mind, it's healthy, so it must be healthy. (laughs) Yeah. It is so wacky. It's complete nonsense. So it's nonsense whether it's coming from Bethel Church or Sarah Young. It's nonsense. Uh, But the author, she highlights um, this whole idea as well, of what we were just talking about. Um, I can find it here on page 43. And this is a pretty lengthy book. Uh, I mean, not terribly lengthy, but it's, you know, 200-some pages with a whole bunch of um, notes in it. Mm -hmm. But she points out down here that um, real biblical meditation, she says, the Jesus Calling series, the God Calling books, and channeling training books all emphasize the necessity of meditation in their spiritual practices. Moreover, they teach the same type of meditation, a mind-altering mind-emptying exercise that puts one into a passive state, open to external influences. Biblical meditation, on the other hand, is a cognitive, mind-filling process of actively considering God's character, mm-hmm. deeds, and written revelation. And she writes down in there, you know, what we've talked about. S- scripture teaches us to meditate on God's Word. Mm-hmm. And you uh, meditate on it, and you are a doer of it. Yeah. You don't move on from being a doer of God's word, and you will. You will forget if you don't meditate on his word. Right, and it's his word. It's a specific thing. It's actually studying his word, right? Not just sitting there and thinking about God. It's studying his word. Yes. Right? And I would say it's also like praying to God according to his word, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I would also say it maybe even extends out a little bit further into... um, getting out into fellowship with believers and being God's hands and feet for mm-hmm. the lost, sick, and the hurting in the world is kind of an act of like putting our what we've meditated on to mm-hmm. practice, not just, yeah. I've thought about your word, Lord, and I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to sit here and all by myself. 
Like, why don't you take that word and go share it with somebody? I'm just going to sit. It's crazy. <laughs> um, the author goes on um, to explain how more than giving insight on a spiritual practice, so she's talking about, you know, what Sarah Young is doing, you know, more than just kind of giving insight on whatever she considers this new supposed spiritual practice that she has. Um, she says Sarah Young is teaching her readers and in a sense, forcing her readers to practice this kind of mysticism. Uh, uh, they call it psychic, yeah, psychic channeling. Yeah, call it what you will. Used to, it, I think they said, she said it was called something else, but now the word is, um, today is called channeling. What was it called before? I don't remember. Um, but it's interesting when she writes in here, she says, um, you know, she kind of invites you to start psychic channeling. She says here, um, I invite you to keep a journal to record any thoughts or impressions you receive as you wait in his presence. She's just inviting you to try it. Um, then she sort of nudges you a bit more to start. She says, I hope that you will find a quiet place and read these messages slowly each day. You might even want to keep your own journal to record your thoughts and word. Like, you know, I, I hope that you will. You, you might want to do this, right? She's nudging you a bit more. Then Jesus nudges you, according to Sarah Young. This is Jesus. As my thoughts gradually form in your mind, you may find it helpful to write them down. The process, listening to me under the direction of my spirit, is more precious than the product, what you write. So she invites you, then she nudges you, then Jesus nudges you, and then Jesus commands you, essentially. So she, okay, I didn't know if you were going to bring this up, but she's the medium to invite Jesus' spirit. That's what she's doing. She sees herself as the medium. Right, and the two girls that wrote God Calling even mentioned that. They say that um, Jesus or God told them that it's sinful to be a medium except for him. Right. They're allowed to be a medium, which is interesting. They don't call themselves prophets, which is what the Bible would call them. True. They're mediums yeah. for yeah. God. That's but, what people are doing today, though. All these people who say, thus saith the Lord, or I feel like the Lord is saying to me. This is what they what they really do. They're being a... Essentially a what medium, they're doing. right? Because they're not a, a prophet... prophet Needs to be 100% accurate. And if you're telling us what God said, then it's a command. And that's what she does here in this final thing, right? She invites you, she nudges you, then Jesus nudges you, and then Jesus commands you. Jesus says, My child, quiet your mind, and I will give you my thoughts. Write about how I am renewing your mind in this very moment. Okay. I wanted to ask this question. Not that I really expect you to have an answer. It's just kind of like, is this what Sarah Young and maybe those she learned all this from, they think the apostles, those who wrote the New Testament, were doing this? Is this is what they think being inspired by the Holy Spirit meant, that they emptied their mind and whatever came? I don't know, because they, came. <laughs> I remember when we talked about Sarah Young, right, she mentions that, like, she doesn't consider her writings as inspired or inerrant like the okay. apostle. So I think she would even claim that the apostolic writings are on the same plane or that they're at a different plane, mm -hmm. you know, as re revelation from God. But again, 
that's where you get into this gray area of like, you're telling me you're writing down God's words, then they're commands that must be followed, right? Because if Jesus said, write down what I reveal to you in your mind, well, that's not a suggestion. The God of the universe doesn't suggest that we ought to try. He's telling you, no, no, get a pen out and write, right? When Jesus says, you know, uh, love your uh, love your brothers as I have loved you. Well, then you're commanded to love them. That's not like, hey, love them or don't, you know, whatever. It's cool. No, you will love them if you're my child, right? Mm-hmm. So how can you write down the words of God, the words of Christ, and then go, eh, but, you know, they're not like well, true, what's, true. What's the difference in what she's doing and being inspired? Because we say the word of God, like, the authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. Were they spirit channeling? This is what I'm saying. Psychic channeling. This is not what they were doing. I'm just saying that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it is interesting the way that she does it, right? Invites you, nudge you, Jesus nudges you, then Jesus commands you. And, you know, if you're a good Christian, right, you're going to do what you're commanded of by Christ. If Jesus is telling you to do something, you're going to do it because it's a command. You know, so Jesus so she through, disobeyed by she stopped meditating on God's word. Right. So she disobeyed God in order to obey God. Yeah. Because God's double minded. Mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Jesus through Sarah Young is telling you to shut your brain off and let it get filled by something, which is supposedly him. Um, but like you said, which again would kind of make Jesus contradict himself, make God contradict himself when he tells us to study and meditate on his word day and night. Mm-hmm. So then you get into the argument of who's right. Is it the apostles or is it Sarah Young? Well, you would have to decide that for yourself. As for me and my household, uh, we're going to stick with the apostles and meditate on his word day and night. Uh, I think that's the right way to go there. And then one interesting note that I wanted to bring up from Sarah Young. Um, she says that Jesus, uh, about the Jesus that we hear speaking in Sarah Young's books, she says it's not the Jesus that we hear speaking in Scripture. You know, she says, as for his identity, I found that he referred to himself most often with the vague term presence. Mm-hmm. Even though he used some biblical names, he avoided Jesus Christ altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would offer up, that's because the Jesus Sarah Young is listening to uh, is either a demon um, seeking to trick her, or it's just her own imagination, and that's why the Jesus in her books sounds kind of the way a woman would want to hear Jesus speaking. You know, he's going to wrap you in a blanket of love, and uh-huh. don't really hear yeah. that a whole lot with Jesus in Scripture. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely point. an interesting point mm-hmm. that she brings. I think it's. You know, again, I didn't read Jesus Calling, so I don't know how often he never referred to himself, but I do think that's interesting. Yes. Yep. Um, One other point that she touches on in here, she talks about um, what she labels interweaving. And, you know, this interweaving, it's not just something that Sarah Young does, something we just read in Sarah Young's writings. This is what you hear from a lot of people, you know, the likes of the Joel Osteens of the world or the word of faith preachers, the prosperity preacher types. You know, it's like scripture is sprinkled into their sort of self-help messages, 
So because of that, you kind of struggle, you know, to find out what they're teaching that isn't biblical. Because mm-hmm. you point out like, man, what they're teaching isn't biblical. Well, they can look back on the sermon or whatever and say, well, what about this scripture that they referenced? Or what about this scripture that they brought up in the message? So it kind of, this interweaving makes it difficult to discern the true from the false if you aren't studied up on scripture yourself. Why don't you just say what the scripture says then? Just stick to that. Right. Instead of just sort of pulling it into your other message. And, uh, you know, but again, we've talked about this on the show before. People don't read the Bible anymore. Um, so they're less and less sort of studied up on what the Bible actually teaches. So it's hard to discern when these scriptures are just sort of sprinkled into messages. Um, and another way I saw this relate to sort of modern Pentecostalism, I think, uh, Sarah Young in her writings, and this girl points out, she writes a lot about, um, what she labels a new adventure. Mm-hmm. She points that out. Right. And we hear phrasing like this a lot in the Pentecostal world, like, you know, God's doing a new thing, a new whatever. Thing. I mean, that verse is in scripture, but it's not like with each individual person. And yeah, this adventure thing, it was like, but her book is written to people who are, she knows are already Christians. That's the thing. Right. And that's the point. Like you're already a believer, but God's got this new horizon for Something you, this new thing, which is else. just goes against what we read in the Bible, right? Because like, the Bible is constantly telling us to remember, to go back and remember who God is, remember what God's done, return to the former things is what we're constantly told. It's not like the Christian walk is not an exciting adventure. I'll tell you that. It's no. a bunch of dying to self. Take up your cross being daily. chastised and yeah, it's not an adventure. Like, would your kids say that you're, the way you bring them up was an adventure? No, that's not what God's doing with us either. <laughs> no, and, uh, you know, I even went and looked up the word adventure in the Bible. I only found it twice in the King James Version. And neither time was it talking about you actually like going on an adventure or something. It was the word adventure used in just kind of like a a normal context. So it wasn't like there's this new horizon and adventure out there for you. Um, and we'll get into more of those examples later next week. Um, but we do. I do want to just read this one little simple devotional that she highlights in here um, to kind of give an example of this sort of. Hmm. interweaving um, that makes it difficult to discern what's actually being taught. Or do you want to read it, honey? Sure. Um, This is from The Jesus Calling. This isn't to the kids or anything. So it says, Enjoy the warmth of my presence shining upon you. Feel your face tingle as you bask in my love light. I delight in you more than you can imagine. I approve of you continuously, for I see you cloaked in my light, arrayed in my righteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are clothed in me. That is why I abhor the use of guilt as a means of motivation among Christians. Some pastors try to whip their people into action with guilt-inducing sermons. This procedure can drive many people to work harder, but the end does not justify, justify the means. Guilt-evoking messages can undermine the very foundation of grace in a believer's heart. A pastor may feel successful when his people are doing more, but I look at their hearts. 
I grieve when I see grace eroding with weeds of anxious works creeping in. I want you to relax in the assurance of my perfect love. The law of my spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Yeah, when I read that, um, I was thinking exactly what she wrote about it, her little notes in there. I was like, she's trying to pit that the congregation or the believer against the pastor here. Like putting yeah. it in their mind, like, yeah, they are doing a bad thing when they correct or like that's the job of the shepherd. Yeah, we should, but not in Sarah Young's mind. And this is what Nikki's talking about. On the very next page of this book, um, she sort of circles and makes notes about what it is specifically that, you know, she's writing in here. So she talks about warmth. That's an occult sensation. Feel your face tingle is another occult sensation. Mm -hmm. Love light is a cult term. Cloaked in my light is an occult metaphor. Mm. And then she talks about um, guilt. These are negative emotions that block occult channeling. Um, and then she makes this note over here that Nikki's talking about. Drive a wedge between you and your local pastor. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really good and kind of a smart way to start reading through these sort of devotionals when you see these terms where like, where is love light written in the Bible? That we're going to be cloaked in some kind of love light? What is that talking about? Like, But she can have scripture to back that up. Yeah, like, like a loose association yeah. to some scripture. But And again, this is just one a one-off example where you might go, well, no, that's just, you know, you're reaching there. But hopefully next week we'll be able to better um, mm -hmm. point out to you through all of the extensive uh, comparisons that she makes in this book to show you that maybe it's not just a one-off um, sort of nitpicking thing I think with there. her other paragraph there about pastors, I don't think there can be a scripture reference for that, for God disagreeing with a pastor bringing up whatever is going to make you feel guilty, feeling guilty, that could be conviction of the Holy Spirit through the word of God that your pastor is preaching. No pastor is trying to, I mean, some do, yeah, but put guilt on you outside of what God's word says. If someone's going to feel guilty, it needs to be the word of God that convicts them. Yeah, that's there's good. nothing wrong with guilt. That's although... a good thing. In modern American Christianity, the word guilt, yeah, is definitely they see that as beaten. Yeah, they see that as like judgment. Yeah. No, guilt is grace is does away fine. with your guilt. No, guilt leads you to repentance. Yeah. I think it's fine. Um, but another point that caught my eye is she's writing through here talking about this new adventure piece. And I think it's a common tactic that is used in the more cultic Christian sort of offshoots. She says here, is the uh, the Jesus Calling series is addressed to those who are already believers. Mm. She says the answer appears to be yes. And, you know, I think I've mentioned on this show before when I've listened to uh, a former Brigham Young professor, former Mormon, she talked about 80% of Mormons um, were people who previously professed Christianity, hmm. but they had sort of a limited understanding of Christianity. So Mormons were able to more sort of use the Christian lingo to kind of make you feel comfortable and then accept sort of their heresies. And it sounds like the same thing with Sarah Young, mm -hmm. right? She's interweaving so. scripture. It tickles yes. your ear. It sounds like something you remember. 
but then it steers you off into this other, you know, offshoot of Christianity, but it sounds the same. So you feel comfortable there. So when I read that, I was like, that's what Mormons do, you know, to lead people into that heresy. So Mormons probably read this Jesus calling as well. Oh, I'm sure they do. Um, They fancy themselves Christians, I'm sure. So maybe they are doing their spirit journaling as well. Um, But I think it's important to note here that, uh, and the author makes this point, that Sarah Young's devotionals, they're actually interconnected teachings. Um, You know, you don't really realize that when you just sort of read a standalone daily devotional, whatever, three, four paragraphs, and then you're gone for the day. But what the author does, you know, is step back and looks at it from a broad perspective. And when you see him as a whole, again, you see this um, this sort of interconnected teaching that's going on. Uh, so she's got this kind of laid out in different um, places, but like, you know, all the different places where she talks about, you know, for new believers on this adventure that they're going on. And then on this Next page, oh, geez. You know, she talks about all the adventures, right? And like, oh, goodness gracious, this thing is fighting me. Um, you know, you have to see that if you're not watching the video, you'd have to go and check this book out. But it's just laid out like adventures just over and over and over again. She's teaching mm. you that you're going on this new adventure. Um, and well, again, we'll point this out later next week with all the interconnectedness and how these are building on themselves. They're not just standalone messages. Again, mm-hmm. it's uh, an interconnected sort of teaching and training for the reader into this sort of spirit journaling or psychic channeling, if you will. Um, yeah, very she's interesting. wanting you to be doing what she's doing. Pretty yeah, much. she says in here in this last sentence, she says uh, on this, what, page 29. Um, ooh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, she says, however, taken together, the devotions from all the books convey a unified message that trains the reader in a new kind of religious practice, mm-hmm. a listening adventure. Yep. So this, to me, is really the meat. Um, and it's the last point that we're going to discuss this week, is that Sarah Young is training you, it appears, to be a mystic. Um, she tells you over and over again in her book that she's training you. Um, again, the author highlights this very well. Over and over and over again, uh, that you are being trained. I am training you over and over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. She says that it's Jesus training you. Um, but it's really, I would say, her training you into this new age mysticism. So the training is the adventure. Yeah. Yeah, the training is the adventure. And she says, uh, the devotions in the Jesus Calling series turn out to be much more than an independent series of teachings. They, in fact, constitute a training course. Hmm. And the author um, points out and gives references that, you know, this is the exact same teaching that the occult uses. It says... uh, Occultists, too, offer mentally intense training that requires time and practice. They teach that it's easy to connect with the spirit world initially, but that it takes patience and determination to develop into, an, uh, into accurate channels. 
students are encouraged to be persistent. So uh, I know that's a lot that we covered this week. Hopefully we'll get into more next week. But why is this important to Christians? Um, You know, I think this is important because the New Age, this mysticism, the spiritualism, whatever you want to call it, is infecting and I think killing the church in America. You know, Sarah Young sold over 40 million copies of this Jesus Calling series of books. She's marketed this, what I would call, heretical teaching to children. Mm-hmm. And this is just one branch of the mysticism that's affecting the church. You know, we've talked about the Bethel Church today, so you throw them into the 40 million. That's just yeah. another branch. The Word of Faith movement is another branch. Like, people are perishing while believing they're walking closest to God. Maybe that's what it means. My people perish for lack of knowledge, a knowledge of who God is. I'm sure that is, but, you know, they think they're getting it, and that's a a real shame, right? That should concern us, Mm -hmm. and that should be important to us. You know, so what should we do about it? I think we should warn people. You know, you most likely know people who have read or are reading Sarah Young's books. People are going to be buying them them for Christmas presents for people. Guarantee people are getting these for Christmas, so warn them, right? We'll have links to this website, like I said, where you can go and buy a copy of this book and send it to people um, that you know may have read this in the past or are reading it now. Yeah. And just let them be made aware of what it is, in fact, they're reading. Um, And then be bold when Sarah Young gets brought up and point out, you know, where you believe her writings are unbiblical and, you know, I would say maybe heretical or at maybe worse, satanic. Uh, Point that stuff out, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And not just about Sarah Young, but all this stuff, right? All the Bethel stuff. um, Point it out, you know, have have courage there. You know, the name it and claim it, all these sorts of false teachings. We got to have courage in our life. And, you know, I'm talking to myself here too, Mm -hmm. right? But we have to do it. Um, So how should we pray about it? You know, I think if you're like me, sadly, you don't pray enough. And that's a real shame. Um, but we need to be praying for wisdom, for discernment, you know, for that boldness and the courage, uh, because most people won't even recognize that what they're doing is wrong. So they need a brother or sister in the faith, in love, you know, to go and tell them, uh, to share these sort of difficult and uncomfortable truths with them. And you might unfortunately just be that person that has to do it. And no one wants to be, but you might be that person. I mean, a lot of people are going to, they're probably going to react the way uh, Brenna's mom did at first. Right. Because no one likes to be told, hey, you're wrong and that's heresy. And you're like, is... well, hold on. Like, yeah. no, I'm not, you know, but and that's why you have to be loving, you know, and, and not just aggressive, but just, you no, know, this is why maybe here's some evidence and, Take it to God in prayer, you know, and mm-hmm. I think. Um, so just pray that you would have the awareness, maybe that would be brought to your attention, and then again, have the courage um, to take it head on if that task should fall to you. So uh, look forward to getting to more of this next week um, into the more specifics, but do you have any final thoughts here on Sarah Young and this sort of mystic training um, that seems to be going on in her writings? No, we'll just save it for next week. Yeah, we'll definitely get into more specifics next week. So if this interests you at all, either go to the website, check out the book for yourself, or just come back here, listen to us. We'd love to know what you guys think about this. Um, I know that this can kind of be a touchy topic, but, you know, I think um, definitely is one that needs to be addressed. 
because I do think it's mm-hmm. something that is, uh, you know, pretty prevalent in American society today. So for our recommended listening, before we get out of here, uh, I have a YouTube video from uh, Justin Peters talking about the deadly dangers of trusting personal experience over biblical authority, which I think fits right in line with this. So go give that a listen. If that sounds interesting, talking about mysticism and personal experiences. But uh, otherwise, we start off our new, you know, weekly sort of family devotions tomorrow, uh, Sunday, December 3rd. So come give those a listen on the podcast. We're going to be going through Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, Advent devotional for the Christmas season, which I love, love, love reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm -hmm. So it's a great joy for me to get back into it. Um, And then, you know, come find us on YouTube, Facebook, uh, TikTok. We do, uh, I do one minute daily devotionals uh, every other day, Monday through Saturday. And then the family devotions with Nikki on Sunday. So come find us there and let us know what you think in the comments. Send us an email. Uh, And otherwise, just have a blessed week.